the bullies. Laugh in the face of danger. Fight for truth. Going where no conservative has gone before. It's time for the Kelly Truth Squad with William J. Kelly. The Truth Squad's Week in Review begins right now. Notify the affiliates. We will definitely be running over this uh, because we have got a lot to talk about. And uh, we have amazing guests and announcements. We might even make some news ourselves, Maureen. Oh, I think we will. <laughs> Maureen O'Looney, thank you for being here. Oh, no problem. Thank you for prepping us and, and uh, getting everything all set. And, uh, of course, the, Bri- the legendary Brian McCarthy. Uh, thank you for being here, Brian. I do what I can. I know that uh, you get in trouble every time we go over, but uh, but I think that we've got so much to talk about today. Um, it's definitely going to be worth whatever, e- even if we end up getting fired, like Pat Buchanan did from uh, MSNBC. Oh, do you think we could weather that storm like he has? <laughs> we've been fired from all the major radio stations, Maureen. You know that. Uh, I, do. I do. We have a lot in common with Pat Buchanan. Oh, Irish Catholic. Mm-hmm. I, I have the same middle initial, William J. Kelly. Mm-hmm. Um, I began my my conservative uh, quest as a result of reading, uh, I believe it was his first book, Right from the Beginning. Right from do you remember beginning. that book? I do remember Of course. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, we're going to be talking to Pat Buchanan today uh, about his latest book, which I think is what got him fired from MSNBC and, and potentially blacklisted. Well, in, especially in his case, after serving so many presidents and being Ronald Reagan's communication director and running for president himself, you would think that his speech <laughs> would not be uh, an yeah. issue. Yeah, they, they only blacklist nobodies like William Kelly. Thank you. <laughs> I, 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 saw, I, I understand what you were, where you were going with that. But, uh, but anyway, Pat Buchanan, uh, his, the book that he, his most recent book, the book that's causing all of the controversy, uh, and why? Because... It's bringing up issues that that people, you know, always say that they want to talk about liberals in particular. They always say that they want to talk about them. But then the second that a conservative actually brings up the questions, then they all freak out. And uh, it's a um, it's an it's a very important book. Suicide of a Superpower. Will America Survive to 2025? Patrick J. Buchanan. Pat, are you there? Yes, sir. Right oh, here. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing just fine, sir. Wow. You know, that voice, that is the, that is the voice that we grew up listening to on, on the McLaughlin group. Remember that, Maureen? Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, uh, and, now, uh, and now here you are um, uh, on the Kelly Truth Squad. Um, this, uh, now, what have you been up to since MSNBC has uh, not only fired you, but apparently you've been, you've been blacklisted, Pat. You can put that on your resume now. Well, what I've been up to is basically I'm writing, <clears throat> continue to write my column. I'm working on a book on my eight and a half years with uh, Richard Nixon. I'm doing a number of TV shows ad hoc. I'm not regularly with any network right now. We did a couple of John Stossel tapings last week. I've got two McLaughlin tapings tomorrow. Okay. So we keep busy as we always have. We're just yes. no longer with MSNBC. Wow. Well, I remember, uh, you know, like I said, reading right from the beginning, how that affected and changed my life. Um, you know, growing up as an Irish Catholic on the south side of Chicago, 
I didn't even know that there was a Republican Party until I read your book and I started to to say, well, wait a second. These are my values. This is what I consider to be common sense. You know, the media and, and the universities and the entertainment industry are telling me that this is extremism, but I consider this to be common sense. Where are the politicians? Where is the party or the groups or the organizations that... Uh, you know that 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 reflect these values. Uh, so it was the result of reading right from the beginning that I I started seeking out conservative candidates' causes and issues. And uh, one of the candidates that I was the most proud to uh, volunteer for and to uh, and to march with in the St. Patrick's Day parade in 1992 was yourself. <laughs> when you uh, when you were running for president. Right, I believe we marched in the south side of St. Patrick's Day Parade. Yes, indeed. Exactly. Oh my gosh! And um, that was, uh, you know, that's something that, um, you know, that that means a lot to me. Um, and I, uh, you know, I, I remember those days so well. And um, you know, I, I guess I was young, I was optimistic, and and obviously enthusiastic. And I really believed that our values were on the march. I never would have imagined. In 1992 or 1994 or even 1996, for that matter, that we would have a can a president such as Barack Obama in the White House. Pat, what did you could you have ever at what could you have ever have imagined such a, a turn of events? Well, I think it really goes back to the 1960s when it was after I was grown up and out of college. I went to graduate school in 61, 62 at the Columbia School of Journalism in New York, but clearly the country underwent in those years a, a social, cultural, moral revolution that has uh, swept over it and has changed It changed a lot of the views and thinking of a lot of those in college in those years and some of those not in college. And that basic revolution, if you will, it was a, by and large nonviolent, but it had its violent aspects, but I think it pretty much began to capture a significant slice of America's cultural and political and and uh, enter entertainment elites who now sort of dominate the culture, and the culture I grew up with and the values I grew up with are something of a counterculture and adversary culture to the dominant culture. Yes. And this has affected uh, pretty much half of the country uh, to the point where uh, Barack Obama can be elected president of the United States. Right. When I was growing up, uh, Richard Nixon carried California six out of the seven times he ran. He only lost once for governor. And Ronald Reagan, uh, Ronald Reagan won it four straight times in four straight landslides, twice for governor, twice for president. California is gone now for the Republican Party and the conservative movement and the conservative cause. And I don't think it's ever coming back. And this uh, revolution, I think uh, it manifests itself so many different ways, I think has really captured the country and uh, is a right in suicide of the superpower. I think we're pretty much in the, uh, in the Indian summer of Western civilization. Right. Well, you know, I guess the, the first question that I have to ask as uh, somebody who, uh, you know, uh, America has been somewhat of a, uh, um, you know, preserving Western Christian civilization has been somewhat of a pet project of mine for, uh, for a few decades now. Um, what is there hope? I mean, is there hope of saving America, 
Western Christian civilization, uh, you know, the, the values, the culture, the traditions that, that we grew up with, that we love, that we believe made this country great to begin with. Is there a chance that we can uh, uh, turn this around? And if so, how? Well, I think there's no doubt that you can preserve the best of what we had. And I think there are folks all over this country that are fighting, uh, fighting to do that, and I think they can succeed. But can you remake the country that we had? And I don't think you can now, because I think this, if you will, this secular revolution, uh, uh, these various revolutions that all congealed into one huge revolution in the 1960s, has pretty much captured the hearts and minds and souls of tens of millions of people right. who no longer believe as we do. If you take, uh, well, take the more controversial issues today from, uh, from uh, gay marriage or same-sex marriage to abortion on demand uh, uh, to the war against the Catholic Church that the Obama administration is waging with the support of many Catholics as well. I think that uh, you've got basically, it's like the French Revolution after... Uh, uh, against the monarchy, the monarchy can be restored, but you cannot uh, uh, you cannot go home again. Right. There's um, <clears throat> well, you know, there there's uh, I, I guess you know there there's just so much that that we would have to do in order to turn the situation around because the very people that we would need uh, in order to uh, like, like you said, in order to, to, you know, to save our culture and our traditions and our values have been literally turned against them. So, you know, the very people that, you know, in the, from the church or the schools or, you know, uh, young people that we would typically turn to, even like, you know, the college Republicans or whatever, that we would typically turn to, to, uh, to support our candidates or our causes or our issues have already, their minds have been so poisoned that, you know, it would be, I, I don't know what it would the only way that we could possibly turn them around would be if we had such a charismatic leader that uh, like a like a, a new Ronald Reagan or somebody that uh, was able to speak their language and uh, and somehow inspire them to come back. And I guess that that has happened at other times in history. I mean, just for myself personally, I remember, you know, like I said, I grew up Irish Catholic on the south side of Chicago. I didn't even know that there was a Republican Party until, uh, you know, until. You know, the 19, I don't know, uh, until Ronald Reagan, there it is, until Ronald Reagan ran for president. It was Ronald Reagan that, uh, that really turned me from, from being, you know, just a, a Democrat, you know, a Chicago Democrat zombie to being a conservative, an outspoken conservative. So, so really, I, I think that um, the, the way to turn this around is leadership um, and, uh, and, you know, just the right person, uh, the right candidate. Well, I think you have to, I mean, I worked with Ronald Reagan in his White House yes. for two years, and we were very close, and he's a friend, of, he was a real friend of mine, mm -hmm. and I supported him in, in 76, and I even supported him back for vice president back in 1968, but I will say this, Ronald Reagan was a great political leader. Uh, when he came into office, uh, he united basically the conservative traditionalist Democrats, the Reagan Democrats we now call them, along with the majority of independents and virtually 100% of the Republican Party. And we had that great coalition we had first built up under Nixon in 72, where we got 49 states against Senator McGovern, who was the candidate of the counterculture then. Yes. And we won those great battles with Reagan, and we won five of six presidential elections. 
the problem is Ronald Reagan today would have a hard time carrying California, he himself. Secondly, what's happened to the country is beyond the realm of politics. Uh, conservatives believe that politics is downstream from culture, that if you capture the culture, you capture the films, the newspaper, the media, the educational system, and you begin to change things like that. You change how people think and feel and believe. And this is what's happened in an enormous part of the country has basically embraced another view of mankind and another view of right and wrong and good and evil and God and man and all the rest. And that influences and infects the kind of politics they support. And so in order to change the country, you have to change the culture. And that is an assignment that's beyond the Ronald Reagan or Pat Buchanan. You need a St. Paul. <laughs> well, you know, but but the fact of the matter is, I mean, obviously you uh, affected the culture. You affected me. And I've been doing, you know, TV and radio in Chicago now uh, for 20-something years. Um, so, you know, so you obviously were, were able to do that. Ronald Reagan clearly uh, did right. that. Um, so, well, let, let, me, let yes. me talk basically at... Exactly. The views that I express now and, and are the views that, by and large, that I expressed uh, when I was growing up, say, in the early 1960s. Yes. In uh, those times, and that I wrote into speeches and, and, and for Reagan and Nixon and Agnew and others, and those views carried 50% of the country. Uh, now, for 100% of the country, almost, 49 out of 50 states. Now those views will get you fired. <laughs> there you go. Well, okay, Pat, we're really getting we're really getting it's not there. Hanged. Yes. Okay. Well, then we're really getting to the heart of the matter right now. The you know the liberals or you know Bolsheviks, whatever you want to, whatever they call themselves these days, uh, they have uh, you know they understand they, they play this game very differently than conservatives play it. There's no doubt about it. Okay, and they understand exactly what you're saying here and that is that in order for conservative values um or what i would call just common sense middle class and traditional american values uh uh to to take hold again they would uh you know all that really needs to happen is for normal people to hear them articulated so they have obviously uh that's why people you know you uh, have been blacklisted and people like you. You know, in Chicago, I challenged Rahm Emanuel's petitions for mayor of the city of Chicago when he was running for mayor, uh, whatever, you know, a year ago. I was thrown off of WIND Radio, the so-called conservative radio station in Chicago, as a result of challenging Rahm Emanuel's petitions. Okay? Now... You know, I, I like you said, 20 years ago, that would have been considered uh, a great conservative cause celeb. Uh, you know, today, it, it got me fired. Now, this bl the, this blacklisting, I guess, is really the only way to put it, that, that mm -hmm. you've suffered from, that, you know, that, uh, that all of us have, have suffered from, uh, whether we even realize it or not. Um, who's really behind this? Who do you think got to MSNBC and... Uh, and uh, and convince them that you are no longer you know as good as you were for ratings or for entertainment or for or for years too uh, yeah he for was, years he was on MSNBC for years exactly so you know as good as you were for that network that your message was just too dangerous to allow to be heard especially obviously clearly in an election cycle like uh, 2012 who got to well, them there's a color of change a group which I hadn't really heard of which was established by Van Jones. Um, who's a hard leftist, I guess, was kicked out of the administration. I'm not sure. Okay. You get the the human uh, 
what do they call it? Anyhow, it's the gay rights, the gay rights uh, movement, their political arm. You've got the ADL of Abraham Foxman, who's been trying to get me fired for 50 or 25 years. Wow. Uh, you get the, uh, the um, Southern Poverty Law Center, I believe, put a hand in here. But what you get is you get a, uh, a tremendous number of emails. You get a tremendous number of phone calls. You get people uh, asking to see the head of the network saying, get rid of him. Uh, you get all these, these things on the blogs. He's written a racist, horrible, homophobic book. You can't have him on the air. And I think after a while, especially with the network, uh, a lot of those folks are in its constituency. Eventually they say it's more trouble than it's worth keeping him. So, uh, well, we don't want to let him go. We're going to take a hit for letting him go. Uh, we're going to have to do it. And, uh, of course, in the last analysis, they've got a right to have whomever they wish on the air or to keep whomever they wish off the air. But, again, this is a, it's a mark of the, of the I mean, this, is, um, this movement, so far to the left of where Senator McGovern was in 1972, but they have, real, um, they have a great measure of clout and strength today. You, you read about George Soros and all the organizations sure. to which his name is applied or attached. Like the Illinois Republican And so uh, you've, what you've got is a country fairly, fairly evenly split politically, but in terms of the culture, uh, and in terms of the media, sure. and in terms of Hollywood, and in terms of the educational system, um, we are clearly in the distinct minority. Well, here's There's no the doubt thing. about it. Well, I mean, I would almost go. I, I, I hate. I'm, I would almost go so far as to say, if conservatives are not able to mobilize and to fight fire with fire and to demand that um, extreme leftists be removed from the airwaves or what have you, then maybe they deserve to become dis- uh, extinct. But uh, um, but obviously I don't want to see that happen. <laughs> so uh, so let's let's come up with another possible solution. Um, uh, Listen, here's, you and me, we're like the dodo. We're on our way out. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Um, you know, here in Chicago, I'm still you know obviously fighting Rahm Emanuel. Uh, we have a very ex- interesting case study of this happening right before our eyes on the front pages of the Chicago Tribune and Sun Times. I don't know if you're aware of this situation, but the owner, the the Ricketts family that owned the Chicago Cubs, they. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm very aware of the thing. The, yes. Uh, the super back and what he planned to do and the Reverend Jeremiah White, the resurrection of him. Yeah, exactly. The father of the Ricketts, uh, you know, the uh, family, wanted to run some anti-Obama well, ads. He, was, he wasn't even going to run them. He was considering well, it. He was just considering it. And, uh, and Rahm Emanuel, the mayor of the city of Chicago, made it clear in no uncertain terms to the Ricketts, Oh, you know the owners of the Chicago Cubs. The children. That if this were if this were to occur, that this would very seriously negatively impact their business uh, dealings in Chicago. Now, can you imagine if the situation were reversed? If a if uh, if a conservative politician said to a liberal uh, family, if you pursue your uh, political agenda, your businesses. Uh, interest will be uh, uh, will be negatively impacted. What would be the circumstance? What would be the situation if that uh, occurred, Pat? Well, clearly there's there's a uh, an enormous double standard. Um, I mean, you just mentioned something. I just put out a column today, and you can see it tomorrow. And I don't want to take back too much history, but I was involved in Watergate, and there's a new book out that indicates Woodward and Bernstein not only attempted to penetrate the grand jury. But they did, and they got a grand juror, and they interviewed the, her several times and used the material in the paper 
and then somebody lied to Judge Sirica about whether or not they had penetrated the grand jury. And if that we had done that in the Nixon White House, the individual, if it had been me, I would have gone to the penitentiary. Sure. And it would have been an article of impeachment. Right. And now it's a big joke. Right. And the truth is, there is there is a double standard, Virginia. And look what happened, though, to Mr. Ricketts. It's not simply that uh, that Rom, who plays hardball, and that doesn't surprise me, uh, but Ricketts uh, it was leaked to the New York Times, put in the New York Times, and Governor Romney himself said, I don't want any kind of this type of activity done in my name by Super PACs or anyone else. And a number of people denounced the whole project. And the individual who was involved, apparently, in putting together the prospectus, uh, he's a political operative, he's in trouble. And it just it tells you where the cultural, cultural and media power and bias lie. There are certain things, I mean... I mean, look what happened to John McCain. He was there sure. with Minister Hagee down there, who had some th- thoughts on the Catholic Church, which I don't agree with. But McCain was required to repudiate him totally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, the, and the, there was no problem with the Democrats throwing up Reverend Hagee all during that campaign. Well, there's one thing that the, the only way to turn this situation with our, with our culture and the decline of our, our culture and American, you know, supremacy or greatness in the world, the only way to turn this situation around, from my perspective, is to stand up to these bullies. And the fact that the Ricketts family caved is exactly the problem. If the Ricketts family had stood up and said, whoa, wait a second, these are our values, this is America, this is our First Amendment right, this is our, these are our business interests, and, you're not, and not only are you not going to tell us what commercials we can and cannot run and what our beliefs are, but we're gonna, now I'm going to spend $20 million running these ads. That if that had been his reaction, can I tell you exactly what the, what the American people, even in the people in Chicago, what their reaction to that would have been? Hooray! I think, they would, I think a lot of them would have responded favorably. Yes, it's you know, hey, you know, uh, you know I'm somebody standing up. Exactly, I'm paying for this microphone. You know that type right. of that type of you attitude. Know, sure. You, you know, so you, the Cubs could the Cubs could play in Skokie. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. You know what we need. But I, look, yes. I agree. Look, I agree with your fundamental point. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it is that uh, the people love. I mean, it reminds me when we went back when Nixon was under horrible fire from the press. When he first came in, I mean, we had inherited the Vietnam War. When Eisenhower left, there were 600 guys. All we had in Vietnam, when we arrived in 1969, there were 535,000. And Nixon began to sort of phase that moved them out slowly in trying to save South Vietnam. And you had those, um, those gigantic demonstrations, and the media was all over him. And Lyndon Johnson had said, you can't fight people who buy ink by the barrel. And we wrote those Agnew speeches, and Spiro Agnew stood up and defied him and had nationwide addresses, two of them, and the whole country rallied to him. Yes. There's no doubt that if people will stand up and defy these forces, they will be astonished at the kind of resonance they get from what we called in those days correctly the silent majority. Yes. But it's, it's a tough thing to do to stand up for a lot of these folks, and especially folks, and I was only kidding about Ricketts and his Cubs, but who have a tremendous, you know, have business dealings and connections and a lot of jobs and people depend on it. Uh, when they, someone goes to the whip and says, okay, you go ahead and do that, and here's what you lose, X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, well, you know, uh, uh, I can't do that. 
Well, if you don't fight for, if you don't stand up for your freedom, you've already lost it. And I'm not quite sure what anyone at this point thinks that they're preserving, you know, if they allow uh, Rahm Emanuel, uh, you know, this... You know, this ridiculous person, you know, who isn't even really, in my opinion, the legitimate mayor of the city of Chicago because he you know, wasn't even a resident of the city of Chicago, legally speaking, at the time of, the, of, of, the, of his uh, campaign for mayor. You know, if we had just uh, roll over and allow these people to tell us how we conduct our business and what we're supposed to believe, and then I don't understand how, you know, what, what the, you know, people like the Ricketts think that they're even preserving. The next guy who seems to be stepping up to the plate to take on Obama is Donald Trump. He's announced that he has an anti-Obama super PAC. What is your take on that? Will he be blacklisted by the likes of Rom? Will he be the one to finally stand up to these people? Or is there something fundamentally flawed about Donald Trump that will uh, be the undoing of, of this uh, this anti no, I think Trump, whatever, whatever, you, whatever you feel about Trump, uh, the people who are self-made men like Trump mm-hmm. uh, and who are independent men, uh, I've always found that uh, they are far more difficult to intimidate. Uh, they don't intimidate easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the people, when you get into the corporate world, who, are, who really become sort of corporate managers and who came up through the ranks of the corporation and who are not independent operators are much easier and much more influenced uh, and, and, and much more easier to intimidate than these, these buccaneers, if you will, these guys who started it and are their own self-made men. I've worked for, uh, um, what's his name? I can't even think of his name, Ted Turner, when CNN came up, and I found him to be a great boss, uh, Nobody pushed him around. Mm-hmm. He put his money on the line, and whenever I was in trouble, uh, he would rise to your defense, and uh, and he was a great guy. I mean, he was a very liberal fellow. I mean, he went off Mary Jane Fonda and everything, but he was a great guy, and he was a strong leader, and he was a great guy to work for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was a self-made man. You find them of the left, right, or center. Uh, they're much, much tougher, and you can't push them around. And Reagan was that type of guy. He didn't mind being needled and kitted and everything else. But if he got the sense you're pushing him, then, then all of a sudden you're facing the guy who carried a gun in the SAG union. Right. And, uh, and so uh, that's the situation. Now, I, don't know, I don't know this fellow Ricketts, but, uh, but obviously when everybody ran from this terrible idea that you're going to do something about Reverend Wright, uh, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to stand, hold his ground. Yeah. And, and you know, there, there, there's only one, there's the only way that we can turn this around and, and other cities have been, other, other cities or countries or civilizations have been able to, uh, you know, put off their ultimate demise uh, by, by, you know, some great battle or some great stand or some great leader. Uh, the only way we're going to be able to turn this around is to stand up to these bullies. So the obvious question now is Mitt Romney. Is he one of these self-made men? Is he one of these guys who's going to rise to the occasion? Or, you know, is he one of these guys that, you know, like the Chicago, the great movie, The Untouchables, uh, what are you willing to do? You know, is he is he one of these guys who's going to stand up? Or is he ultimately going to be uh, an appeaser who says, oh, no, 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 I, I distanced myself from all of that, and I would much rather, um, you know, maintain uh, a, a positive, uh, uh, you know, persona than to actually, conf- you know, fight these people, uh, you know, tooth for tooth here. Well, um, I, think, uh, I think Mitt Romney 
is uh, we're going to find out the answer to your question. But my own view of Mitt Romney is he does have a great measure of self-confidence in his ability to take over a large organization, to shake it up, to you know re- remove certain people and put other people in, and to go into the machinery and to make this thing work as it's supposed to work. And I think he believes he can do that about the federal government. Mm-hmm. Now, is he aware of the enormous, of the magnitude of the undertaking that he is seizing? Uh, I don't know. And can he accomplish it? Uh, I am not sure, to be honest. What you're going to have to take is you've got a uh, federal government that's spending 25% of the entire gross national product, and he's talking about rolling it back to 20%. And there's going to be blood all over the floor. Okay. If you're going to do that, and there is going to be ferocious resistance, and I'm not sure the Republican Party, it hadn't done it before. Every administration I've been in is sort of, at some points, it's balked and backed away and said, we can't fight this one, we cannot, we'll wait and fight that one. And the trend has all been in one direction. Uh, so we're going to find out. But I will say this, I think, I do believe Mitt Romney is the best bet. I think uh uh, you know, it's uh, it's like that horse that won the Derby in the Preakness. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we got to put our money on him for the Belmont. <laughs> well, trust me, I, I I certainly understand and I appreciate that, and I agree that he is he does have the experience necessary to turn our economy around. But my question was, does he have? what it takes to win this election. I, I believe he has what it takes to turn the economy around, but does he have what it takes to go uh, toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose with these Zelensky-style uh, Chicago hustlers, Obama, Axelrod, and, and Rahm Emanuel? Well, you know, that's, that's, that's an excellent question, and it's something on my mind, too. Is, uh, uh, and the, uh, the, I've worked for, uh, in a number of presidential campaigns, I was with Nixon in 66 and 68 before he got to the White House, uh, and I was with Reagan in, uh, in, in, in 76, but I was with him, although I wasn't, uh, I wasn't in his campaign. Uh, but th- these, uh, these candidates themselves, because of the culture has been captured so, and your, your limits are set on what you may say and do, and if you step outside them, then you're attacked as various beastly figures, racists or homophobes or whatever they want to call you. And you're asking whether Mitt's guys uh, have the gumption and toughness that McCain's did not when McCain passed over Reverend Wright, when it was a legitimate issue, and it was a current issue, and really rubbed Obama's nose right in uh, Reverend Wright's church, where he'd spent 20 years every Sunday. They didn't do it, mm-hmm. and they backed off. And I know in the, in the Willie Horton ads... Uh, I mean, Bush went ahead with a lot of stuff. To Bush won. Right. He wanted to be president of the United States, and he was. And you had Lee Atwater, who was a tough customer in those days. I knew Lee. And, uh, and, and Bush won, backed him up almost to, to the hilt, just about. Right. And so when you do that, they took the little duke and they buried him. You know, but, uh, yes. But, the, you know, yeah. does the Romney people have it? I don't know. They have, I mean, has it been demonstrated yet? No. But I do think they need it. You know, uh, that, that's a very interesting point. In the, eight, the late 80s, the early 90s, you had those, the Republicans were uh, talking about those issues that, that really did affect the middle class voter. Crime, affirmative action, welfare. You know, in your book, you talk about the fact that 
you know, the, the, obviously the demographics of this country are changing so dramatically. Um, you know, uh, who's going to need affirmative action, you know, uh, in the years to come, uh, that, that would be more of the, that would, we we, so yeah, it's not even a question of, uh, should we have it now? You know, we, we've, we've, we've kind of gone right past the debate as to, you know, do we need to continue affirmative action to, you know, maybe now who needs, who actually should be the recipient of affirmative actions at this point. But, um, you know, will the Republican party, will we have, what, what would happen today in 2012 or 2014 or my God, you know, you know, your book obviously forecasts out to, you know, 2025, which I want to talk to you about in a second. But what, uh, you know, do you think that in order for a Republican candidate to win in 2012, 2014, 2016, they should return to the issues of crime, affirmative action and welfare? Or should they just absolutely cave in and say, hey, we are, you know, we're we're moderates We're we are, you know, we're not conservative. We are, you know, just slightly more, uh, you know, conservative than than, you know, the, the average Bolshevik. Um, you know, should there be, um, you know, should a should a Republican candidate actually say, hey, um, you know, the time has come to end these uh, preferential uh, treatment in terms well, of Scott. Well, I think that, well, of course they should. I mean, Ward Connolly is an individual who has guts. Right. And Ward Connolly has led the battle for, I mean, basically doing away with, with, the, uh, with hiring and promoting and giving scholarships based solely upon color uh, or gender or ethnicity. Mm-hmm. He says that's wrong. We ought to have sort of the Olympic thing, the where, you know, the best guy, the best guys at the best ten guys at track or fastest guys, best ten basketball players, the best ten hockey players, whatever. Sure. These are the ones that win us and they we find out by good, clean competition and everybody gets an equal chance at the starting line and the people that do best wear the crown. Right. And he won that battle in the state of California and the state of Washington and in Nebraska and I know uh, Michigan, and he tied it in the uh, in the state of Colorado. It ran dead even, but it ran ahead anti-affirmative action ahead of McCain. Now it's a great issue; it's the right issue. But will the Republicans touch it? I doubt it very seriously. They're afraid of these issues. I mean, they say, look, the one issue where people agree with us really is we're not going to raise any taxes and we're going to cut spending without telling you where. And that's our winning issue. And let's stay on that. Let's forget everything else. And that's pretty much their attitude. And especially when you get to social, cultural, and ethnic issues like that, their natural tendency is let this cup pass away. And they don't want to touch them, especially the country club Republicans. And that's why, um, and, and it's one of the reasons why the party is sort of, it's diminishing gradually, as well as demography and, and issues like that. So, and but, so there's here's... nothing you can do about it. It's like a kid, look, if the kid wants to play the violin, there's no sense pushing him to try it for the football team. Right. What what I what I think I, I what I think I hear you're saying, or what, maybe what I, I I want to hear you or uh, or somebody say, is that the Republicans would win if they had the courage to step up to the plate and 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 tackle these issues. But I um, think yeah. I think well clearly we I mean when we did them to a degree. I mean with mm-hmm. Nixon and Reagan, uh, we we won. But right. I mean, even the Reagan White House, I was involved in the hard negotiations whether we're going to do away with affirmative action and it was so so acrimonious so divided to the cabinet and the senior staff Mm -hmm. uh that we did nothing right so it continued we could have stopped it cold we failed to do it Mm -hmm. and uh and you know it's and it's now people look back on it and say we should have done it 
And the one hope there, frankly, is the Supreme Court. I think the Supreme Court might knock out uh, affirmative action. If you, certainly, if you get one or two more justices, they will. And that, of course, means you've got to elect a Republican president. But listen, right. fellas, uh, I'm going to have to get going here pretty soon. God I have bless to write you, Pat. To hey, Pat, well, we appreciate you. You are always welcome. You are um, an incredibly important voice that has been temporarily uh, silent. But we're going to see you. Uh, when, when are we going to? When is Fox News or uh, Fox Business uh, Channel going to pick you up and uh, and give you your own show? I've had my own show many times, and uh, I'm not sure I want to go back to daily TV, but I appreciate your thinking of that, and uh, and uh, I appreciate the time, fellas. Hey, thank you so much, and uh, Pat, it's uh, Pat Buchanan, and uh, if, if you don't already have it, you got to get out there and pick up a copy of Suicide of a Superpower, Will America Survive to 2025? And we'll be back with more Kelly Truth Squad after this. Right on, America. More with the Kelly True Squad coming your way next. If you need the latest news and opinion, look no further than veteran political blogger Warner Todd Houston. You know him from his work on Red State, Breitbart.com, his local political blogs at Chicago Now and Publius Forum, and as the co-host of the Kelly True Squad every week. Now Warner Todd Houston has a new political blog you need to know for local political news in Chicago and Illinois at PrairieStateReporter.com. When you need news you can rely on without the dirty political spin, visit PrairieStateReporter.com now. The Truth in Broadcasting Radio Network. Now, back to the Kelly Truth Squad. Welcome back to the Kelly Truth Squad. I am William Kelly. And yes, that is the uh, the theme from the Godfather. the Godfather. That was the Godfather. That's the Godfather theme right there. And there's a reason. There's a reason why we're playing that theme because we're going to be talking about politics, but not just any politics. Okay, most people say politics is dirty. Politics is dirty. Stay out of politics. They don't know what they're talking about. Po- compared to Cicero Town politics. Most politics anywhere else in the country, most politics in Chicago is a walk in the park, a walk in a flower-filled park of happiness and bliss, okay? But in the city of Cicero, politics is truly, truly, truly dirty, okay? And um, enough Evil, of, corrupt. Evil, corrupt, despicable. Yeah. Yeah. Slimy, yeah. greasy, <laughs> so incredibly stinky <laughs> that you would just say to yourself, "What the heck? Who would who would who would want to be involved in Cicero politics?" Well, obviously, people who uh, want to make um, make a, a mob tainted dollar and stick it in their pocket. Right? That's right. Is that what that is? I think so. But you know what we need to do? Hmm. We need to say to all those stinky, 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 corrupt people, your days are numbered. It's time for you to go get a real job. Right. Okay? Right. Um, and because we need to have real reform in the town of Cicero. Yes. And, um, and we're going to make that happen. Okay? That, it has become one of, my, one of my pet projects now. Not only to save Western Christian civilization. Not only to bring... Uh, to to bring um, democracy to the United States of America, true democracy, and the city of Chicago, and the city of Chicago, not only to defeat um, 
you know, to get all these Obama bundlers and and uh, and Rahm uh, financiers out of the Illinois Republican Party and return that to the to the real people and the voters, I have actually now taken on probably the greatest challenge in the history of reform. I am going to make sure that we elect a great, great uh, public servant to be mayor, the next mayor of the town of Cicero. Now all we need to do is find out if there is a, uh, what the residency requirements are. <laughs> and, or, or if uh, there is somebody that actually already lives in the town of Cicero who fills, fulfills that. Now, wouldn't that be amazing? It would be. That would be like, you know what that would be like if all of a sudden we discovered that right there in the town of Cicero already exists a, tr- um, a, true a, a hero, like a, like a Disney-style knight in shining armor right. that is going to come riding to the rescue. And so we need to find out who that person may be. And, and there's only one person that I would trust to tell us the answer to that question. Okay. Because all these other characters that are involved in Cicero politics, they they all have, um, like Patrick Fitzgerald, you know, the, this, uh, this federal prosecutor, he would tell, he would, he, if he's listening right now, he's just shaking his head. Like, yes, exactly. The, the, all these other characters, they're so duplicitous that, you know, they would, you don't even know, you know, they, they could look you right in the eye and they'd lie to you. Okay. They, you, so you don't really know if what they're saying is true. Okay. But there's one guy that I know that will tell us the, the, the whole truth, the honest truth and nothing but the truth about the town of Cicero. His name is David Jenkins. In fact, he ha- has the moniker, David, the watchdog. Jenkins. Right. Okay. Because he's a guy who has the courage. This is, this is a very rare individual. Okay. He, this is the guy who has the courage to stand up to, to corruption in the town of Cicero. And he's been doing it for, uh, for decades now. David, are you with us? I am. Uh, that's, that's quite a nice intro there. <laughs> How are you doing, brother? I'm doing really good. I don't, I, I correction though. I, I haven't really been doing this for decades, really just a couple of years. Okay, all right. You see how honest he is? Yeah. You see how honest he is? I, I guess he, you could say I've been a, a bit of a rebel rouser for decades, but uh, that's, you know, more personally than anything else. Okay. So, you see, we gave him credit for a couple of decades. He just, he, he, said, he, he said, no, take, take that back, okay? Um, I've only been doing this for a couple of years. So, who is the current mayor of the town of Cicero? Uh, the current mayor is, well, they actually call it president instead of mayor. Ah. And I think there's some, some legal reasons for that. Uh, they, they give the president expanded power. Uh, hmm. But the, the current president of Cicero is uh, a guy by the name of uh, Larry Dominic. Uh-huh. And if you follow the news, uh, which you know I know you do, uh, and a lot of your listeners do as well, uh, this is a guy who is, uh, you know, front page, uh, cov- you know, sensational cover story, uh, type character almost on a weekly basis. Now he has one of those. Uh, now the, those characters from the uh, from Cicero, they always have like a nickname. It's uh, so it's always like you know, like Joey the Clown Lombardo or something like this. Well, I, now what I don't the, what's, think he does. So can we just so he does not have a nickname to add color uh, to to his character yet. I, I don't know that he need what needs one. Um, so should we just, give him a nickname? I'm sorry. Should we give him a nickname? Like uh, what, what what nickname can we give him? That's a tough one for me. It, you know, okay. I look at I look at Dominic. Larry, the the, that I think Larry, of. that's a tough one for me, Dominic. <laughs> that would well, be no, that it, could be a nickname. It's it just that nothing. This is a fellow who is really so 
uh, you know, involved in, in what I would consider to be financial fraud and uh, um, misrepresentative <laughs> activities. That I don't think that there's any one thing that you could call him that would be truly representative of just how... Um, He's that repulsive. He's that yeah. reprehensible. So we have to give him a series of nicknames. There would be too many. Okay. Well, right now, just 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 for the sake of conversation, why don't we just call him Larry, the nickname to be named later, Dominic. <laughs> sure. Or we okay. could just call him Dominic. Okay. <laughs> so, name. all right. So we got our boy Larry, the nickname to be named later, Dominic. He is the president of Cicero. Yes. Um, when is when is uh, when is that election up? Uh, the election is going to take place in a consolidated uh, uh, election that happens in February of uh, 2013. The last one was, of course, in 2009. So February of 2013. Ha! We got a yes. little. So when uh, when do we uh, start circulating petitions for a new president? Well, technically, technically, right now we're waiting on the Illinois State Board of Elections to publish its 2013 guide, mm-hmm. uh, and they intentionally wait until the General Assembly is done with their session because, as you know, uh, they create a lot of new laws every single year. So um, right now, I think, uh, I mean, generally speaking, you're going to start, uh, you know, circulating petitions in August. But um, you, so you this August, wait. you do want to wait for the the, the final. Um, uh, publication to come out before you you really start uh, to do anything. Okay, so let me ask you this: uh, Who do, do we have a reformer? Do we have a candidate out there who is possibly going to step up and take on Larry, the nickname to be named later Dominic? Well, the answer to that question, uh, Bill, is that we might. Um, oh. I am talking to someone right now. Uh, now, whether or not he wants to make a formal announcement and you know throw his hat out there, uh, you know, in the public. Um, is up to him, uh, but um, I am speaking uh, to this person, and if uh, if he goes forward, he is uh, a viable and and credible person, both from you know a, a business standpoint, uh, you know a financial slash fundraising standpoint, uh, you know from a political. Is standpoint. he so? Is it a he or a she? Uh, it would be a he. Is he articulate? Um, from what I can tell, yes. Is he? Is he attractive, charismatic in the political sense of the word? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So, uh, uh, well, then here's the question. When are we going to know? When is this person going to make a decision? Well, Have uh, you given this person a timeline? Have you, did, did, does this person understand? Has this person ever run for public office before? This person is not, which, which I think is a good thing, personally. Okay. Um, so does this person understand that there's a timeline, that there are petitions, that there are... Uh, uh, obvious, this person uh, is very savvy uh, in the political sense because he's, he's been involved in uh, uh, a number of uh, you know, political activities over the years. So does he is, currently resolve, does he resolve in the town of Cicero? Reside. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, of course. Okay. <laughs> what are the residency requirements? Um. You know, I'm not really sure. I do know that uh, one of, I'm, I'm sure you've heard about uh, Luis uh, Gutierrez's uh, person. Yeah, Juan Ochoa? Yes, he's, yeah. you know, he's, uh, you know, uh, announced that he's going to be uh, running for that office. Now, oh, he just so moved he, here from Chicago. So he've, uh, he's already made that announcement? Yeah, he's, well, they're actually going door to door. So, so he's already campaigning, technically. Yes. Now, what is the, uh, let me ask you this, what's your take on Juan Ochoa? I don't really know a lot about him. Uh, I have to be honest in that I'm not a fan of Gutierrez, so, um, 
you know, I'm a little hesitant. To, Politics makes strange bedfellows. It, it really does. Um, I mean, would I prefer him over Dominic? Well, abs- I would prefer any unknown <clears throat> over Dominic, yes. But, um, you know, they're, they're, the person that I'm talking to could be a much more viable now here's the problem, though. Uh, as a result of you know some experience that, is, that I've had in politics, what are the, you know you have multiple candidates in a race, and then the uh, the most corrupt uh, one wins because the reformers split right. the vote. You've got two guys who are saying, "Hey, I'm a reformer," and then you got one guy that says, "Hey, I'm I'm stinky," <laughs> and uh, and then uh, people are like. Oh no! Uh, who who are we going to vote for here? And then and then you got uh, you know all the guys that own the hot dog stands. They all vote for the stinky guy. And then you got uh, and then you got the reformers. All the people who want reform. There they. Yeah. What is your take on that? What do you think would happen? In well, that that's instance? something that we address. You know, yeah. we would address up front before we even began anything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, there would be a clear strategy in place there, not just well, we're going to throw our hat in the ring and see what happens. So I don't, so we I don't would do anything that way. So. Okay. So we would have to do this. We we would really have to announce this person's candidacy. We'd have to go hardcore to get it out uh, uh, this this message out that this person actually is the true reformer, the person who truly wants something good to happen for the people of Cicero. Finally, after all these decades. Well, yes, and and I think um, I, don't get me wrong. I know that there are unique challenges to Cicero, but I, I think that well, one of them is uh, the 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 involvement of uh, Dan Proft. Well, Dan Proft. Uh, now he is uh, now he was uh, Larry Dominic's uh, uh, Larry the uh, nickname to be named later Dominic's uh, uh, spokesperson if I'm not mistaken. Yes, well he was also the principal in a company that contracted with the town and, and did uh, a lot of business with the town and, and no big you know contracts. Okay, so uh, what kind of money uh, did uh, Proft uh, make off uh, with from the town of Cicero? Do we know? Um, in aggregate, I, I think it's it's a little bit hard to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was paid uh, 300000 to provide public relations services for the Cicero Town Hall. That's right, a building uh, for the town of Cicero. Uh, he was, so the town uh, of Cicero must be pretty wealthy. I mean, the, 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 that they're spending that kind of money on for uh, someone to get up and, and do, do PR for a building. Well, uh, you would think so, but, um, you know, it, it's just another example, in my opinion, of, of yeah, you know, the, the the taxpayers, the people who live here in Cicero, not getting, uh, you know, their their tax dollars worth. What has it been about Cicero that has facilitated this kind of culture? I mean, this is not a a first time thing. Dominic, and then before him, <clears throat> Betty Lauren Maltese. Uh, you know, what what is it about the Cicero area? Is there something that's specific about it that has been a draw for these types of characters? These corrupt. You know, very. I mean, blatantly corrupt. Not that's It's not even hidden. They they almost do it out in the open as if to mock the taxpayers. Well, right. Uh, when you look at uh, Chicago, for example, the politicians there uh, are also you know very corrupt. Same yeah. with Cook County in the state of Illinois. And I don't think a Cicero could exist outside of the state of Illinois yeah. and outside of a Cook County. Hmm. Uh, it's just that they're less skilled at being corruption. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, being corrupt than than you know a guy like Ron Emanuel, who's you know a bit of a savvy operator. Right. How um, does uh, like how does someone like um, if I'm not mistaken, are are there some sexual harassment charges uh, that are being leveled against the town well, president? Well, at Dominic? one point there was four. And, and, four. And, yeah, uh, regarding uh, Mr. Dominic himself, and there were some allegations. If you read the depositions, that were uh, pretty uh, outrageous. 
uh, things that I'm not even going to repeat. Now, was Dan Proft now? But he—he's Dan Proft is a very articulate spokesperson, so he was able to—he uh, was able to explain all that away on behalf of the president, President Dominic. Well, right? not as far as I'm concerned, no. But um, so, but uh, what is so? What was Dan Proft's? What what was his take on uh, on da- these uh, sexual harassment charges? Well, you know the gambit. It's that they're isolated cases that people just have their hands out and they're looking for money. Um, and you know what? There very well could be some truth to that. It's just that, from my perspective, you know, you get one, maybe two. Um, you know, perhaps you could explain that. But when you when you have you know up to to four at one point, and then there's also uh, you know the accusation that he hasn't exactly been uh, Dominic hasn't been very uh, expedient. Uh, or even active at all when it comes to addressing sexual harassment that is committed. Do we by, have a you know, Do we have a clip? Do we have uh, here, here? Does any of this sound familiar, David? Um, so is is Proft still? Um, oh, do we have it? Okay, here we go. Let's. He said, "If I win, will you flash me?" He says, "Well, why don't you and your mom, uh, all three of us, why don't we have a threesome?" He would make um, vulgar um, comments about things he wanted to do to me. Sexually. Some current and former Cicero female employees are speaking out about town president Larry Dominic. He claims to be cleaning up the town notorious for bad behavior, but the women say his own behavior is anything but clean. Four women have now filed sexual harassment lawsuits against Dominic and other town officials. The allegations in their lawsuits go way beyond talking dirty. They include physical assault. He even got up from his chair and even placed his hand inside my vest to fill my breast. Groping, fondling uh, of the breasts, of the crotch. Retaliation? I was refused overtime. I was written up, suspended. Always on me all the time. I mean, and it's hard because it's stressful, really stressful. And even allegations of possible witness tampering. Okay, David, um, this is, <laughs> Dan, so Dan Proft, let me, let me get this straight. I want to make sure that we're fair. And uh, Dan Proft was the spokesperson for Larry Dominic, the, the town president? He was the spokesperson for the town. Uh, for the town. Okay. And, I think um, that's an important distinction. Okay. Thank you for making that distinction. And uh, so uh, what, uh, you know, what, would, what was Dan Proft's uh, typical <laughs> response to, this, uh, the, to these types of allegations? Well, I think in one case he said that, um, you know, people, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said that uh, there's this, this sort of reputation that people can just file lawsuits and get big settlements. Wow. That's something he said in one particular case. I, I'll tell you something. I mean, that that really opens the, you know, Dan Prof to all kinds of allegations of, you know, you know we hear the Democrats talking about the war on women and, and everything else. I mean... I'm just really kind of surprised that a conservative, somebody who portrays himself as a conservative, would be that um, would be that dismissive of a woman's allegation uh, of sexual harassment. Well, I think it's the allegations of sexual harassment at this level, this magnitude. But in addition to everything else, it's right. not just one thing. I think what makes the Cicero situation compelling is the whole package of corruption. David, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to obviously follow up with this. I'd like to have you as a regular guest. I'd like to break the story on on the Truth Squad when you have your candidate ready to announce. And I'd like to do everything in my power to bring real reform to Cicero and to get these 
you know, these Dan Proft hustlers and hacks and, and uh, just really slime balls, in my opinion, allegedly. Uh, uh, you know, just uh, I'd like to get them to pack their bags and their pack up their hot dog stands and, and uh, move, uh, move hopefully to uh, another state, another state like Cuba. Sure, we could really use that and appreciate that. Okay. Um, well, it can happen. It can happen. I believe that, and uh, and I I promise you, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna focus on this. We're gonna we're gonna bring some attention to the Dan Proft and all these dirty deals in Cicero. We're gonna we're gonna get to the bottom of it. Okay. There's a lot more there. Yes. All right. God bless you. Thank you. Stay safe, and uh, we'll be back with more Truth Squad after this. Right on, America. More with the Kelly Truth Squad coming your way next. 